Hello and welcome to Hugh's Joy of Food, a bite-sized podcast celebrating all that's amazing about everything edible, from the simplest snack to the fanciest feast. I'm Hugh Smithson-Wright, and this week on Hugh's Joy of Food, I review an outstanding dinner in the Lake District at 1863... Help a listener who's wondering where to take someone on that all-important first date in Ask Hugel. And the meal some say is the most important of the day, breakfast is my treat of the week. Each week on Hugh's Joy of Food, I review a restaurant in some way, whether it's one I've eaten at recently, a takeaway, or a make-at-home meal kit. First, a disclaimer. My job as a restaurant PR and consultant means that I'm paid to promote the interests of the handful of restaurants I represent. If I feature a client on this podcast, I'll make that clear, like I do on my social media channels, and in all cases, I'll make it clear if all or any part of a meal I review was complimentary. You can rest assured that everywhere I review, I recommend. This show is about the joy of food, so if you're looking for vicious eviscerations, this probably isn't the podcast for you. With that out of the way, It's time for this week's review. Years before I happened to marry a Cumbrian whose parents live half an hour from Pooley Bridge, I'd visited this beautiful village in the Lake District in a previous role, reviewing hotels and holiday lets for a gay travel website. On the shores of lovely Ullswater, Pooley Bridge is home to a number of charming tea rooms, pubs and restaurants, which, combined with a trip on an Ullswater steamer paddleboat, make it a very pleasant destination for a day trip or longer stay. But my most recent visit last week was to try 1863, a restaurant with rooms I'd spotted an article about in the local press and thought sounded right up my street. My in-laws thought it sounded right up theirs too, and inasmuch as somewhere half an hour away counts as your street in the vast Lake District, no one took any persuading to take a punt on booking a table there for dinner. And boy were we happy we did, because the meal we enjoyed was right up there with the best I've had in years, consisting as it did of some incredibly well-executed food. Named for the year the former blacksmiths it occupies was built, 1863 has the look of a rather smart country pub with its green bonquettes, graphic wallpaper and unclothed tables. But it's a serious restaurant, offering both a tasting menu, which we couldn't actually work out how to book, and a three-course dinner for £50, which we could and did. There are five choices for each course, with meat-eaters, pescatarians and vegetarians all catered for. It's one of those terrific menus where everything sounds so good you struggle to know what to order, but there's no need to suffer FOMO here, as everything is excellent. As listeners will know, I love a tartare, so it'll come as no surprise that for starters I went for 1863's lamb version, as did Dave. Made from coarsely cut ruby red Cumbrian lamb of superb quality, topped with smoked mayonnaise and garnished with confit egg yolk and focaccia croutons, this was rich, smoky and complex, with layered flavours and lovely contrasting textures of soft lamb and crispy bread. My mother-in-law's mackerel was an iridescent-skinned fillet served with a pool of tangy buttermilk, with dill and nasturtium adding herbal notes, while my father-in-law's chicken thigh was a breaded kind of Kiev, served with caramelised cauliflower and fragrant with summer truffle. I didn't get to taste either dish, but I certainly heard no complaints coming from across the table. 
While it might seem odd to order lamb for my main course when I'd had lamb for my starter, I couldn't resist the Cumbrian lamb loin with crispy sweetbread, turnip and black pudding. This was a really wonderful dish. Two thickly sliced lozenges of perfectly pink lamb, served with a poached baby turnip, a little tumble of soft black pudding, a tender lamb sweetbread in crisp breadcrumbs, a Hasselback potato and tiny little lardons of crispy fried lamb fat. Bathing in a rich jus, each element of the dish complemented the others so well, and the sweetbread, something which can often be rather bland, was particularly flavourful. My husband and his dad both ordered braised pork belly, which came with a ham and parsley croquette, asparagus, and a very clever addition of English strawberries. Think about it. Pork is delicious served with sweet things like applesauce, so of course strawberries, with their balance of sweetness and acidity, were going to flatter the fatty richness of pork belly. While desserts all sounded delicious, and Dave enjoyed his 1863 fifth birthday cake, a chocolate and orange opera cake which, the clues in the name, celebrates the restaurant turning five this year, I was tempted by cheese, which turned out to be an excellent choice. Five British cheeses, of which my favourites were pungent Baron Bigod and salty Shropshire Blue, came plated in well-judged sized pieces with a plate of grapes, candied walnuts and fruit preserve, and a lacquered treasure chest containing about six different varieties of crackers. The presentation deftly straddled that tricky line between whimsical and over-the-top, and elevated this from being just very good cheese to something really special. Service was exceptionally friendly without being over-familiar, if sometimes a little forgetful about clearing empty glasses and the like from the table, and I was pleased that the clearly super-talented head chef, Phil Colley, came out to greet diners at the end of the evening, because it meant I was able to thank him personally for a truly memorable meal. My father-in-law very generously picked up the bill, thanks Colin, but with the three-course menu, aperitifs, wine and service, I'd guess it was probably around £100 a head. There are no side dishes or supplements except for cheese, so it's easy to budget for what you'll spend. But if that's still on the high side for you, I see from the website that there's an 1863 by day option, which offers a selection of dishes, some of which appear on the dinner menu, priced individually. Pooley Bridge hasn't had the easiest few years. Devastated by the Cumbrian floods of December 2015, the village was cut off from the county in one direction until a temporary replacement for the eponymous bridge could be built. And then, just as it had started to recover and tourism had returned, along came Covid. So for 1863 to have recently marked its fifth birthday is no mean feat. I have a feeling, however, that with food of this exceptional quality, and offering as it does the warmest hospitality, the chances are good that they'll be here for many more years to come. For all information, visit 1863 Ullswater, that's 1863-U-L-L-S-Water.co.uk. Each week... I answer a listener's burning culinary question in Ask Hugel. This week's question comes from Liam in London, who says, Hey Hugel, I've been asked by a friend to recommend places for dinner or drinks that would be good for a first date. The thing is, I'm married, and it's so long since I've been on a first date that I've drawn a complete blank as to where to suggest. I know you're married too, but I thought you might have your finger a bit more firmly on the pulse than mine. Can you please help with some ideas that I can pass on? Well, Liam, 
I'm always a bit sceptical when people say they're asking for a friend. And when you slid into my DMs, which, for the record, are open precisely so that listeners can ask me their questions, I briefly flattered myself that this might be your way of asking me on a date. But I understand that you're of the heterosexual persuasion, you poor thing. So I think that's unlikely somehow. So, accepting that your question is genuinely altruistic, I'm pleased to say that as with so many things, I do indeed have both some views and recommendations on where to go on a first or one of your first dates. My first piece of advice, and I think the most important, would be don't go for dinner. I know it's antithetical to what this podcast is about to say so, but I think about the worst thing you can do on a first date when you're only just getting to know someone and aiming to establish whether you'd like there to be a second or further date is to sit through a meal with them. If you do get on, well, that's great. But if it's at all awkward or you just don't click, you've then either got to make your excuses and flee or sit there politely but painfully until it's over. No, if you must go for food, make it somewhere casual where the food is familiar and uncomplicated and it's perfectly normal to have one course. Somewhere like Bleecker Burger, who, in the spirit of disclosure, I did some work for a couple of years ago, where you can grab an excellent burger and a beer. Everyone likes a burger and a beer. If you get on, you can then suggest going on for a drink somewhere. And if you don't feel fireworks, you can scoff the last chip and head for the tube. Or go somewhere for a drink that also does food, so that if it's going well, you can order something to eat and keep the date going. But if it isn't, you can finish your drink and go. I had a really fantastic afternoon of martinis and snacks at the new Homeboy Bar in Nine Elms recently. The cocktail menu offered a range of classic and more contemporary cocktails, as well as some decent wines. And the food menu ranged from small shareable snacks like arancini and buffalo nuggets to more substantial sandwiches, burgers and the like. Because I know dates also happen outside of London, I think The Alchemist, which has bars nationwide, is an outstanding choice for a first date. Their theatrically served cocktails create talking points, which you always need on a first date. The bars themselves are stylish without being intimidating. And whenever I've visited one, the service has been impressively quick, ensuring that there are no awkward gaps to fill while waiting for your drinks. Like Homeboy, they also serve food from a couple of snacks to graze on with your drinks to a full meal if that's the way the date is going. It can be a good idea, without sounding prudish, to avoid alcohol on the first date and go for coffee instead. A coffee or cuppa, perhaps a piece of cake, after work or at the weekend is a lovely, chilled, inexpensive option. You want somewhere a little nicer than a chain though, so scout out a nice independent cafe in your area and suggest going there. A classy option is the cafe or bar of a gallery or cinema. I love the cafes and bars at both Tate Galleries in London and in Liverpool. I've not been to the one in St Ives, at least not yet. And the bars at the various picture house cinemas I've been to too. Not only can you enjoy a decent drink with your date, but if you find you're getting on, you can casually suggest seeing an exhibition together or even a film. Date one, neatly segueing into date two. Ultimately, Liam, wherever you go, wherever your friend goes on a first date, the important thing is to not put too much pressure on yourselves. Don't commit to going for a full meal. Don't pick anywhere too expensive. And don't feel it has to be somewhere that will impress. But equally, Don't make it look like you've put no effort into choosing at all. Somewhere fun, casual, cool, and maybe cultural, where you can relax and be your best self, should ensure that your first date 
is just the first of many. If you'd like me to have a go at answering your food-related question, you can tweet me at hrwright or send me an email to hrw at hughrichardwright.com. For my final segment, Treat of the Week, each week I share something food or drink related that's been putting a smile on my face. This week, it's breakfast, for me and for many, the most important meal of the day, and one which, whatever I have and wherever I have it, always puts me in an excellent mood. Last week, I was having a late alfresco breakfast with my friend Kimmy in the idyllic shaded courtyard of a very fashionable London hotel. And as I tucked into my plateful of perfectly soft scrambled eggs with morels, courgette and parmesan, sipping eye-wateringly expensive coffee out of an exquisite china cup, it occurred to me how much I love my morning meal. I never skip breakfast. I know a lot of people feel that they don't have the time to make breakfast or simply don't feel hungry in the morning, but they're missing out because a good breakfast really does set you up for the day. At home, I have a roster of favourite breakfast dishes and will tend to eat the same thing every day for a few weeks before changing to something else for a while. At the moment, it's a two-egg ham and cheese omelette topped with a sliced avocado and sprinkled with smoked salt and chilli flakes. Another time it might be poached eggs on lavishly buttered sourdough toast spread with marmite or a couple of soft-boiled eggs with lumpfish caviar, a surprisingly inexpensive indulgence, and white pepper. I don't always have eggs, although, as you might recall from a previous treat of the week, they are one of my absolutely favourite foods. Mashed avocado on toast has come in for a bad rap of late, but I've loved this nourishing, easy-to-make breakfast dish for years, ever since I first tried it in Sydney – There, my friend made it using the lightest, crispiest Turkish bread. Delicious. Sometimes I like to have fried rice, just one of those pouches of ready-cooked rice from the supermarket, stirred through with fiery chilli oil. And of course, you can't beat a bacon or sausage sandwich, which I like to make with both ketchup and brown sauce, on white bread, or even better, a crusty white roll or baguette. I also adore kippers, but at risk of oversharing, they repeat on me so badly I generally have to avoid them, unless I won't be likely to see anyone for the rest of the day. I'm not much of a fan of sweet things, at least not in the morning, so I tend not to go for pastries much, but I am rather partial, particularly on a hangover, to one of those cheap cheese twists from the supermarket, in which the cheese, no matter whether you've managed to grab the pastry just warm from the oven or it's been sitting on the shelf for a while, is always of the same strangely satisfying plasticky consistency. I'll never forget the breakfast I had at an airport hotel in Osaka en route to Australia 20 years ago. Rice, miso soup, pickles, some smoked fish and tamagoyaki, that delicious, slightly sweet Japanese omelette. Of course, this being an international hotel, there was also a Western option, including the tiniest rashes of bacon I'd ever seen and a stab at scrambled eggs. But I was eager to try something different from what I was used to, which, of course, is rather the point of travelling. And on the subject of hotel breakfasts, can I just talk for a moment about how much I have missed a breakfast buffet during lockdown? More so even than the comfort of staying in the hotel, I've missed the opportunity for gluttony that an all-you-can-eat hotel breakfast involves. I've long said that to me, all-you-can-eat is a challenge, not an offer, and I revel in taking a strategic approach to eating as much as I possibly can, of as great a variety of foods as I can, before returning to my room, 
with a banana of course, to collapse on the bed and digest it like a snake. If like me you're a fan of breakfast, can I encourage you to give something different a try, whether that's switching sweet for savoury or eggs for avocado. And if you're not a fan, can I employ you to at least give it a whirl? Because whether or not you believe breakfast is the most important meal of the day, for me, the first meal of the day is always the best of the day. Just before I go, I'd like to ask that if you're in a position to, you'll consider supporting one of the many brilliant charities working tirelessly to ensure that children, disadvantaged families and the homeless don't go hungry during the pandemic, such as Magic Breakfast, Fair Share, Street Smart and the Trussell Trust. That's it for this week. Thanks ever so much for listening. If you'd like to get in touch, you can tweet me at hrwright or send me an email to hrw at hughrichardwright.com. And I hope you'll join me next week for more of Hugh's Joy of Food.